Hey, what's going on, everybody? Today is February 8th, and you are listening and watching the Daily AI Show Live. And today, we're talking all about vector embeddings and semantic search. And we have with us June, <laughs> Beth, Andy, Carl, and I'm Brian. So we've talked about um, vector embeddings before on the show, but now we're at I think today's episode 134. So um, we wanted to sort of bring it back around and talk more about um, what they are, why they're important, how they relate to semantic search. You know, where is semantic search being used? I think there's some, you know, there's some thoughts thinking like, oh, Google just started using it. Truth be told, Google has been using some version of it since like 2013. So it's not necessarily new but it is getting a lot of airplay right now. A lot of people talking about it because of these new advancements in AI. So with that said, um, I don't know, Carl, do you want to kick us off with sure. maybe some basic understandings of yeah. uh, what a vector embedding is as far as the, the math side of things? Yeah. Um, and you can go really complex into this, but I think like, let's start with three big terms, right? You got vectors, you got embeddings, and then you also have, um, you've got indexing, actually, no, maybe not three big terms, maybe, the, <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe four or five, um, and you've got indexing. So let's just let's start with those three first. And I'll, I'll use an analogy um, to, to, to kind of explain it. So imagine vectors, think of them as arrows pointing in a specific direction. Now that arrow could be this small, this, this big, really big, like it's however big. And these arrows really represent anything from words, items, concepts, right? So it could be a phrase, could be one word, two word, like a sentence. Now let's talk about embeddings. Now imagine if we can describe every word, item or concept and its relation to other words, items, or concepts. So that's what it means by embeddings, a way to represent words or items as vectors in a space. Probably a more simple way to do it is, I'll explain how, let's say, a custom AI chatbot takes your data and turns it like, and turns that data into a way that could be quote unquote read and retrieved by a large language model. So let's say simple example, a PDF. PDF has paragraphs, words, sentences, some charts to it too. And what happens is that PDF is what's called chunked. Think of it as just broken apart into whatever the, however the amount you've set or the custom AI chatbot has set, right? Could be 2,000, 1,000 chunks, 500 chunks, but it needs to be chunked because a large language model only has certain, like a context window that can only read so many things at once. So it has to be chunked in, especially large amounts of PDFs. We're talking like hundreds of documents. Now, each of those chunks and the words and concepts get turned into what's called embeddings in what's called a vector database. And effectively it turns into numbers. So 
or number representations. So let, let's take the word Komodo dragon. That could be 0 0.6644412. And then the word pet could be 0 0.77144. And what the large language model is trying to do in that vector embedding, or sorry, the vector database, is to figure out the relationship between, again, words, concepts, and ideas. And that's where we're talking about semantic search. So a Komodo dragon would be closer in a numerical representation to a pet, but a dog would be even closer. And an alligator would be much farther. But because in the history of humanity, there are people who have kept alligators as pets, that would still be closer than a hippopotamus. So those are just the relationships between words. And that's essentially what a vector embedding is. Now, so can I throw one thing into the real quick car before you move on? Because I think this is important. Like where I got tripped up, so th this is more from my learning, was it's easy to conceptualize four quadrants on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And X and Y of uh, five each is significantly mathematically distant from negative X of, of negative five and a Y of negative five. One's in the upper right, one's in the lower left quadrant. We can conceptualize that without even seeing a piece of paper. As humans, it's pretty easy, even easier to like, or just as easy to throw a, a Z axis on there. And now we're looking at a cube of a graph mm -hmm. and we can say, okay, these things are sitting in space over here. And these, these words are in space over here. What is the leap that we need to make for vector embeddings is that there are not just one, two, three, five, or 10 dimensions. There's mm -hmm. hundreds or thousands Thousand of them, dimensions. right? Or thousands. So a word like Komodo dragon and pet may be significantly similar because they have they have essentially what looks like a a um, longitude and a latitude type number associated to them but they're in multiple dimensions at once at one time and so they may also be significantly um relevant to a word like mammal or cold-blooded or reptile or whatever right because they, they also have meanings and, and connections to that as well so we can kind of go as far as maybe three maybe we can sort of get to a fourth dimension and think okay what would that look like we're talking about thousands of dimensions and mathematical points within thousands of those dimensions so any given word to your point or document or whatever may sit in this sort of blob right that's hard to understand but so, anyway that's the way that's the way it kind of worked in my head do i, do I have that right you you do and that's what the next thing i was going to get to right because like immediately when we think of what a lot of people when i say komodo dragon pet dog you think of 2d on a piece of paper and you're probably drawing it out in your minds like oh there's a pet that's a numerical representation of 0.666 whatever oh here's an alligator 0 0.67 but it's like it's not in 2d it's not even in 3d it's not even in 4d right it's right. 1312d and yeah. that's essentially how a how a computer goes in and looks at all the relationships of these vectors and what's close together so when you ask a question it looks into you know okay what is the relationship between the question or the topic or the concepts of the words into what is in my database and then then it 
looks at that, combines that with your large language model, mm -hmm. and gives you the answer. Now, where it runs into an issue at the moment in a lot of vector databases is it's easy with, um, what's the term called? Uh, unstructured data. That means words and videos and even images. Where it runs into problems is structured data. Because structured data, like an Excel spreadsheet, there is a right order. It's not just words and paragraphs. There is a specific order that you've created, let's say that Excel spreadsheet, that columns and rows. So when you chunk it, break it apart and give it representations, how does a vector database know that it's supposed to be in a specific order? So it can't just start pulling random things. Now, they, they have made advances on those. And that's where I'm pretty impressed with the OpenAI's vector database versus anything other vector databases like Chroma, Pinecone, and other things that people have used or businesses have used because for some reason, and it could be the amount of the way that it's been chunked or more importantly, how many dimensions there is because the more dimensions, the more opportunity it is to search through it. I don't know what it is, but OpenAI's <clears throat> vector database seems to be much better at retrieving data and getting insights from that data than it is anything that I've ever worked on. Um, yeah, and, and really that's, you know, you, you can, there are, when you talk about indexing your chunks, there's different techniques. Like we can go into tree-based structures, hashing, graphics. There's a lot of different ways. I think the most important part to know about indexing is that's where a computer is actually, or machine learning is actually breaking apart and providing those numbers to your data. And the reason, if I understand correctly, the reason that this is important is because the function that we talk about as hallucination is impacted by where things are and what would be most likely. And if you have things that are chunked that you want actually retrieved <clears throat> In a, in a specific, like, this is the right thing, um, that's how this comes into play. Is that true? Yes. And, and Andy, Ish. you raised a really good point about that in our, in our previous conversation, because you mentioned that, like, oh, so how does, how does it know that an alligator is closer to a pet than, than, um, or sorry, a hippopotamus. Than a hippopotamus. <laughs> yeah. But a dog is closer to a pet. Well, it's it's like it's like a large language model like a computer analyzes like millions of texts to learn these relationships especially in natural language processing to see how those words are used in sentences how those concepts are used in those concepts and so there's like the two that i've learned are there's machine learning models um, it's already being used too in our search engines when we actually, you know, are looking for something. So BERTs, um, there's dimensionality reduction. Um, so they've, if you think about it, things like Google and Bing have already been doing this, finding the 
connections between words. But now you just take it even further because it isn't just finding connections, it's answering the question that's that makes sense to what you've, you know, what's been asked. And that's why like <clears throat> a large language model by itself, even though it's pre-trained on all this data, will have hallucinations. But if you provide it more context, hence vector embeddings, because now it's very focused on specific set of data, it reduces the likelihood, it well, reduces the amount of hallucinations, doesn't completely take it out, but now it has more context and more data related to it, specifically your data that maybe it was never trained on. Yeah, and this me, is a good example too. On, I'm sorry, let me just comment on um, what, why, why database is useful in the context of a large language model like GBT4 or now Gemini Ultra, uh, Gemini Advanced, it's been renamed, uh, why that's important. And it's related to what you just said. And that is that there's a lot of information that's sort of distilled and contained in the enormous training data that's, that's now got a representation in this deep neural network that is the GPT. The, the, the issue is that you don't want to just simply rely on that corpus of data that's been pre-trained. You, as a company, for example, might have very specific data that wasn't part of the training set. And you want your large language model to be able to look at all of your data and you don't want it and use that data primarily so that it doesn't make stuff up based on its, its sort of more generalized training. So that's the issue around hallucination. So I have this database. Pinecone uh, is a vector database. Chroma is another one. And there's also another alternative, which is called a knowledge graph, which has structure to it. You referenced this earlier, Carl, that you actually can have a database that's used in RAG or retrieval augmented generation that has structure built into it. They have nodes and relationships, edges to other nodes, and it's like a taxonomy of all this information. So it has structure. And this goes back to your question about, or your, your comment about having a spreadsheet which has structure. Oh, this column represents this attribute of this data. And so, uh, you know, it, it has an organization already inherent in it. A knowledge graph does have that. Neo4j is one knowledge graph uh, database that is used in uh, artificial intelligence applications, including large language models. Going back to the whole issue of why this is important is, now you've got this company that's putting this database alongside an LLM with their own proprietary data, but the database is enormous. You can't feed the LLM the entire database every time. So what you have to do is be very selective. And vector database is a method using unstructured data, but vectorizing it so that you have similarity search. So that what I do is I, if I make a query to the LLM that's powered not only by the underlying foundation models training, but also this it has access to this database. You take the, the question that I asked it, you embed that you translate that into embeddings, the mathematical representation, and you put it against the, the vector database in a vector search that finds those 
those uh, uh, mathematical representations of passages and documents that have a similarity to what the question was. And then you bring only those documents over and you assemble those documents that are relevant, similar to the question, and you add those as context in the time, at the very time that you're asking the question. So and it's efficiency question to large degree that RAG or retrieval augmented generation is being used primarily now as the foundation for specific knowledge being incorporated into large language model interactions. And just to give like a familiar concept to understand this, um, uh, as people playing with images on the internet, we're fairly familiar with the difference between a vector image, a vectorized image, and a pixelized image, right? A regular image. Pixel images, if you blow it up, you get furry, right? Because it's pixelated, because each place in that is just represented as its own state. In the vector, it's it's represented in a relationship and vector images are um are smaller right because what they're telling you is the relationship between all of the pieces that make up the image rather than the state and that's what's happening uh at a much larger level in this but it is familiar to something that we have yeah it makes them infinitely scalable i mean you can take an image that's vectorized um and Put it on the side of a, you know, when you go past stadiums and you see some of the main football players, you know, and their their giant pictures are on the side of the right. football stadium. That that has to be vectorized. It's a it's a forty foot by one hundred foot image, <laughs> you know, or something. But, so, but the relationships between the pieces in it remain the same, right? Yeah. It's it's uh, it's true. It all sizes. Carl, were you going to correct me? Correct there's me? no no there was there's <laughs> one, no, no there's there's one thing that I you know. I like to think about this, and it's a funny way to think about it. Has, has anyone here watched um, Doc, the the Doctor Strange multiverse movie? Has anyone seen yeah. that? Oh, yeah. yeah. So I like to think of each of these vector databases having a essentially a Doctor Strange in it, and you have provided Doctor Strange with data that Doctor Strange will put into multiverses because how many dimensions, right? He puts it into all sorts of multiverses. And when you want to find your data, said Doctor Strange will go out into these multiverses and pick up like essentially libraries in these multiverses and, and pick them out. Now, some vector databases are better than others. So for example, I would consider OpenAIs having actually the real Doctor Strange. But in like another vector database, you could have someone like, I don't know, Spider-Man. Not really as good as Doctor Strange pulling up your data. Maybe right. decent. I don't know. But it'll be, it may be better than us. I would prefer a more closer representation to Doctor Strange than someone like Spider-Man who could mess everything up. And then you could get all over the place with like, do you really want Thor doing your thing? I'm not sure, but I'd still prefer understanding like, and that's how I see certain vector databases. You're like, what happened here? Yeah. This is the way that, that essentially that person has organized your data maybe isn't the best way to organize it. And I feel 
there'll be better and better ways to organize your data so it'll be even more accurate in the future. And I'm hoping with agents that you don't have to necessarily put the data in a database. You will just give instructions to said agents and then you'll have, I don't know, agents of shield, Hydra taking data and putting it into these multiverses. Although with Hydra, you do it for malicious reasons and shield, you would do it for good reasons. <laughs> that's how, like, <laughs> to me, that's how I would start seeing these. That's good. I love it. The, Mar great the, Marvel, the Marvel universe of uh, vector embeddings. I wanted to say <laughs> earlier, you know, when that, Beth, you were saying a, a good, easy, bring it back down to earth type um, example. And I didn't think of this. I read this. I didn't come up with this was that, you know, what we would call few shot or one shot or zero shot, um, prompting which is just to say giving it an example it's just a fancy way of saying yep. giving giving an example is in fact a, a, a an idea of vector embedding because what you're essentially doing back to what you were saying andy instead of just massive monumental database of proprietary knowledge that i append to the llm really what i'm saying in a simple prompt is hey i want you to go out and write this email but hey don't just write any email your email has to look as similar to this example as possible. This is what a good email actually looks like in, to my to, to me, right? I mean, it may be different to everybody. So I want you to, you know, look like this or a voice paragraph, which is to say, you know, I'm not a huge fan of voice paragraphs, but the idea is that this is the style tone of Brian talking, yada yada yada. These are all the bits and parts of what makes me mean when I when I talk, my intonations and things like that. And that goes into a paragraph. And then I take that paragraph as a variable and I put it into my prompts so that I'm like, hey, I, in this case, I need it to come back sounding more like me. Oftentimes, I find that just a couple examples of writing will take care of that. Um, so I deal a lot with LinkedIn strategy. I deal a lot with um, writing LinkedIn posts. And when you use AI, this is something you have to definitely, definitely um, factor in. I just never really thought of it as actually being part of what we would consider to be vector embedding, but it's a cool concept. It's a very, very basic starter concept of, oh, I gave it this example. And what is the model doing with this example that I just provided to it in order to bring me back even more personalized answers? Right. Does that so work? The, Does that work? So the structures also that we talk about, right? It's a good idea to give it a role that limits, right? So you're gonna to talk to me as a life coach, you're gonna to talk to me as like a five-year-old, or you're gonna to talk to me as an improviser trained at UCB, right? Like you're gonna, you're going to have um, some context in which that's also limiting the amount of information that it's looking for, because it's only looking for the information that is whatever within this level of closeness, right? Um, wow, okay. We've been doing this the whole time. Yeah, exactly. That's oh, kind no. of my, my take on it. <laughs> There's a couple of side points I just want to throw in there. One is that the embedding process, there are embedding codes, right? One of the most popular is called ADA-002, and it uses 1,536 dimensions. So mm -hmm. it translates words or phrases, whatever chunk you give it. You can give it a full sentence. Your chunking process can say, okay, I want you to look at sentences in this particular document, or I want it 
to be chunked into smaller portions, like even partial words that's sometimes happening. Because if it, you've got supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, it's going to get broken up into subsegments of that sort of thing. So that's one thing. The other point I wanted to make is that when you make a query to a large language model that's, that has a, a knowledge base that's associated with it, many chatbots that we you know, deployed do, we upload documents from the company that is that, that are then used as additional context, but using a vector database and a vector search, a similarity search to bring them back. You don't know. There's nothing that shows what documents were actually added to context, unless you can look behind the scenes in the LLM and see what the compiled prompt was. Because everything that you say in your question, plus all the system prompt and other instructions are assembled and sent to the LLM at the same time. So if you, you, if you if you were able to kind of pierce the veil and go in behind and see, okay, well, which documents did you actually bring up when I asked this particular question? That kind of tuning can help the other code that's built into that vector search routine to improve the performance of the vector database. And that's why I think, Carl, you, you're experiencing open AIs as being more effective, even though it's Probably the embeddings in another alternative model are, are you know, or another platform that uses a chatbot and has a knowledge base with it that's embeddings. They they may have a very similar structure in the embedded vector space, but there's other routines that are being applied to ensure the the relevance of documents that are brought forward from such a knowledge base. So Brian, you raise a really good point about providing examples because the one thing that i've found the difference in open ai's vector embeddings versus others is if you have a very long list and this is usually my test when i say long list to say like let's say 10 points and of those 10 points five of the points have sub points three six seven sub points you have a really long list with a bunch of points and sub points I found with a lot of embeddings or, or vector databases, it'll only re it'll only provide back five, six, say of the original points. It wouldn't fill out the entire 10, 15 mm -hmm. points. And it was only until I actually provided examples and say, mm -hmm. I need you to fill out like this, that it actually said, oh, sure, no problems. With OpenAI, didn't need to do that. It would be the entire list, no problem. So I was like, I'm kind of wondering why that was. Like, why does OpenAI's vectors and embeddings give the full list versus it, hind corner? Carl, I think it, it could be in part the more advanced reasoning capability and instruction tuning that OpenAI has developed, not anything to do with the knowledge base that's being used in OpenAI. I want to clarify that when Carl talks about OpenAI's vector embeddings, he's talking about the knowledge that you can add to an assistant yep. API in the platform, or in a custom GPT, you yep. can add knowledge documents. And then without you having to do anything, there is a vector database that's being used against those documents that you've uploaded. Now, I can also use Pinecone with OpenAI. I can mm -hmm. use ChatGPT4 with Pinecone, which is a totally different one. 
And there's an interface between those two, like in the vector search, that you know will have a slightly different result from the one right. that's using the the specific platform that that Carl's referring to within Assistant API or uh, in chat uh, custom GPTs. Yeah, the the one difference, and it's really worth reading Nick Dobos's comment. I mean, his uh, ex post on this is. I, I do believe, and I've been testing this for about a week now, that a custom AI chatbot using Pinecone, or I would say things like a Chatbase or a Retune or a Dante, doesn't use your embeddings, or I'm sorry, not embeddings, your files as part of the context. And that was a really good point where if you uploaded, let's say, three or four documents into say a custom GPT or an assistance GPT, it uses those if it's a PDF or a .txt file as part of the overall context and prompt window versus something like a Dante or chat base, it actually separates and makes sure it pull, it retrieves that data. And so it's a very good point that if you upload things into, and this is the big difference to me, if you upload things into OpenAI's, let's say custom GPT or assistance API, it becomes part of the overall prompt versus a Dante or chat base where it isn't part of the prompt, it's separate. So, and, and yet you're saying that that method that OpenAI uses for those particular implementations is preferable. It actually works better. That's why I think it might be more about the instruction tuning. It, it could be it, more about the instructions, but it it gets to a point where it starts losing or it you don't get the most, if you have a lot of data. Yeah, it'll cloud the, uh, cloud the reasoning. Yeah, so so that's why yeah. vector search similarity search and refining the additional context run, you know, provided to the LLM at time of inference, that is more efficient. And you're saying that Dante and Retune and others that use that methodology may be better than a custom GPT, which is probably, if you've seen when you, your custom GPT says, searching my knowledge. Yes. It spends some time, the little clock goes it around. It's sure. looking at everything. And yeah. adding that to the context, that may be a little too much. It, it, and, and I'll that's tell you, sorry, I'll ahead. tell you really quick. This is just a good actionable insight, actionable workaround for that is when you're building custom GPTs, I'll tell you two, two tricks. One, you need to put in your instructions, preferably the uh, last instruction. So it's the first thing read because there's a recency bias with the way instructions are read from the bottom up. Um, one of the last things I'll typically put in is before you begin, I typically will call them tasks. So my, my instructions will typically have multiple tasks for the, for the job I'm trying to do. And, um, I'll say before you begin, before the user asks for its very first thing, whether it's, I'm ready to begin or uploads a file, you need to go in to your knowledge base. And I want you to specifically hone in on these ideas and concepts. Basically, I'm what I may be doing, although I've never thought of it this way, is I'm basically giving an example to say, this is how I want you to go look at the document before we begin, because I have found multiple times. The reason I ended up doing that just out of trial and error was that I would often find that the answers did not 
go into the knowledge base and find what I was asking and be giving back poor answers. When I changed my instructions from the get-go to say, you need to bring this in first before we start working together, I got much superior results. So that if you if anybody's doing this and they never really thought about it, about vector embedding, but you're uploading knowledge docs, which is what it would be called um, uh, inside a chat, custom GPTs, or just in a chat. If you're just uploading a document and you're like, can you help me summarize this document? Just like with everything with, with good prompting, the more specific and detailed you can be about what it is you hope to get out of it, the better your answer will actually be. And you can actually take that same approach towards what's in those, what is going to happen with the vector embeddings to help hone the information that's doing. At least that's been my, my, you know, um, my I, experience. I, I just thought of this now and it's really interesting where whenever I've used ChatGPT and I uploaded a document, it, for some odd reason, it came out better when I said, review the document first, yep. then I'll ask you a question. Yep. versus me asking the question and then reviewing it. And I never kind of put it together until you just said it now. It's like, wait a minute. That's right. If it reviews it first and then stores that knowledge and then asks you ask the question, it's already there versus it, I don't know why it does that, but it's a much better response than mm -hmm. than you asking and then it go searches for it. To me, it's like we're in multi-dimensions, right? So to me, it's that Dr. Strange, to use your example, going in and preloading and saying, yeah. okay, I think this is where I should be before we begin. So he's gone in and done a whole bunch of this, right? Yeah. If you're if you're not watching me, I'm, I'm just randomly grabbing in the air uh, to multiple dimensions. Uh, <laughs> but you just can't see it, but that's what's happening. It's um, very but, cool. Yeah, yeah, very well, yeah, yeah. He had 11 arms. It was amazing. Yeah, very fast, very fast. Uh, StreamYard couldn't hit, couldn't keep up with, with the high def though. No, um, but so but you raise here. a real, that's amazing because that's right. If you, if you've already innate, like gotten the information and then answered the question, it's much easier than you going out and having to find that information through everything that you've put in. And a use case for this is literally at the end of the show, we're going to pull the transcript. The transcript is then going to be used in a custom GPT as it is every day of the week. We do this and that in turn becomes the uh, summary that goes onto YouTube and is also used uh, initially on Spotify, which then goes out to Apple Podcasts, right? So we need a we need a summary of the show. What do we talk about, right? All the stuff we just talked about with Vector Embeddings. So now, not always, but now that custom GPT says, hey, when you get that transcript from the user, you need to go pre-read it. Then I want you to follow these directions to create this type of outline. The outline should look something like this, and I give it a one-shot example. That has consistently provided better results than if I was just to throw the document up and say, give me a, a, a show description of this. It'll do it. It's just not as good as when I tell it to go read it first, look at my example, now give me something back that looks something like this. So I'm using the best of both worlds. And back to your point, Beth, this is nothing new, right? Act as this idea of taking a lot of data and just trying to hone it in and narrow it in to get even better, more niche results. So this kind of works. Um, real quick, because I, I know we're sort of, we're almost at the end here, but I do want to mention most of what we've talked about today has been about text. But just so it's clear to anybody listening to this, it's not just text. Carl, you mentioned at the beginning, it could be images, video, yes. audio. OpenAI has Whisper, right? So they can do transcription and stuff like that. That's vector embeddings. Uh, it can be entire documents, like you said. It can be um, people profiles. When we talk about fraud prevention, 
Um, and uh, I had people who were buying, I knew people this morning who were buying tickets to the Paris Olympics because the, the I'm, I'm going to be over in Paris and hopefully going to some Olympic games. And because it was at 10 a.m., I had to wake up at 4 a.m. with my wife to try to get these new lot of tickets. And somebody said, oh, I bought two or three, but my bank called me on the third one and said, hey, is this, are you actually, yeah. you know, is this you? Did you want all these tickets to the Olympics? Which, let me just tell you, they're not cheap. They're not cheap at all. Olympics <laughs> um, has become a very expensive thing to go look at. Anyway, side note. Um, but that's a, that's vector embeddings, right? Like that's using profile embeddings. And we know credit card right. companies have been using this towards fraud detection for many, many, many years. And so, you know, just something to be, keep in mind as we're talking about it, business cases, probably more image, audio, video, mm -hmm. mostly text is going to be our use case that that make, you know, for this show, but it, but it can be used in many, many other places. Again, just putting a, a mathematical representation on that object, whatever that mm -hmm. might be. And then right. it being in 1500, what did you say? 15,000, 1500 different dimensions. 1,536 uh, for that yeah. particular <laughs> Multiverse, which is multiverse. not something you can, yeah, you know, there you go. Yeah, no. it's a multiverse. Yeah, I think that's I, I like. I love the Marvel explanation, Matt, because it's 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 coexisting in many places at once. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. um, all right. Do we have any other notes before we wrap this up? Uh, just really quickly, in the applied sense that you were talking about, Brian, uh, vector databases require far less space for the amount of data it can store. Right. So that's that's one of the main reasons it's used for LLMs is because there's an immense amount of data. So if you have an uh, an application or your business has an immense amount of data, look at a vector database if you haven't already to contain all of that information. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Love it. Um, okay, well, listen, tomorrow we have for our Friday show, first time we're trying this out. Uh, you guys can let us know what you think, but we're going to do a recap show. We're going to look back at the last two weeks of um, conversations, things that changed, the ideas, things we went back and looked at after the fact. And uh, that's going to be our show tomorrow. So, um, you know, it's kind of the what did we just say type of show. So that'll be tomorrow. Next week, we have a whole bunch of new topics we're going to be talking about uh, deep fakes. We're going to be talking about, you know, can uh, Swifties really enact new legislation. I honestly think they can <laughs> and it really drive us forward as far as AI. So that'll be interesting. I think we don't have it in there, but we're definitely going to have to talk about um, uh, Google's Gemini Advanced, which just dropped today. So we'll, we'll maybe put a show in for that next week. But tomorrow, come back and, and uh, hang out with us. We're going to be looking back at the last two weeks worth of shows and bringing our new insights and uh, discussions to it. So that's it. And we will see you guys uh, tomorrow. Thanks, Carl, for all the uh, deep dive there. Aloha.